If staying on top of your budget and protecting your home or goals for this year, take a look at American Home Shield. American Home Shield gives you a plan for when stuff breaks down in your home. And I'm talking about the things that are not so easy to fix. Something pretty expensive, like your refrigerator, heating and air, plumbing, electrical. Believe me, when it happens, not if, but when it happens, you're really going to appreciate American Home Shield. To see everything they cover and to save $50 right now, go to ahs.com slash Rome, ahs.com slash Rome. And keep this in mind, if American Home Shield cannot repair the covered item, they will replace it or offer an alternative solution. And as the nation's largest provider, they have paid more in home warranty claims than any other company. That's added up to more than $2 billion in the past five years alone. American Home Shield. Be sure with the shield. I love it because I'm going to be real. I am not a fix-it type. In fact, I can't fix Jack, but I don't sweat that because of American Home Shield. Limitations and exclusions apply. See plan for details. And, you know, they'll pull up with, you know, their cars and their rims and pockets full of money and jewelry and everything and I you know I'll be back there on the boiler steamer you know making whoppers and it's like bro what the f*** you doing like you got to get back into the mix but I just I, I wanted to do this thing right and stick to the script it's cracking welcome to the Jim Rome podcast starring me Jim Rome just kidding what's up you know, I've really been looking forward to chopping it up and catching up with this week's guest. He is not only an NBA champion, a two-time NBA All-Star, a 14-year vet, and the 2002 Co-Big East Player of the Year. He is also an NBA analyst for Sportsnet LA, NBC Sports Washington, ESPN, Turner Sports. He is the author of a great book entitled Tough Juice. He is the producer of a marijuana doc that's going to be released later on this year. He's the EP of a movie about his own life. He is the host of the Tough Juice podcast. He is the owner of multiple businesses. This dude does it all, including absolutely shredding podcasts, which is what he did for Ep120. Yes, you heard that right. We are now up to episode 120 for the Jim Rohn podcast. This one is no joke because Karan Butler is here. And we will talk to him about his amazing journey to the top, both on and off the floor. I cannot get you this ep fast enough. Ep 120 of the Jim Rohn Podcast with Karan Butler is coming at you right now. Karan, it is so good to have you on this podcast. Let me say, there's plenty to talk about in terms of what you're doing in retirement and your amazing journey. We will get to that. But let me start with the association coming down the stretch. Karan, great to have you back. You're here in L.A. Let me start with the Lake Show. The Lakers beat Milwaukee Friday. They turn around, they beat the Clippers Sunday. I understand that what you're doing in March is not nearly as important as what you're doing in June. But how big of a statement did the Lakers send those two teams and the rest of the league with what they just did? Yeah, look. I think it was amazing because you talk about the Lakers and playing against the top-tier teams and all they have been doing all season long is this proven doubters wrong. And the one hurdle that they didn't get over or had yet to get over at that point prior to playing the Bucks and the Clippers was winning against you know the other short list of contenders across the association. So LeBron heard all the, the conversations and the whispers, and he went out there, and he put on what we call – a demonstration. He shut everybody up. He went out there, he balled up, he strapped up on the defensive end of the floor, he was aggressive, he didn't shy away from the moment. And I think that 
everyone in the Lakers locker room knew the significance and the importance of playing at a high level on that particular night. And that's exactly what happened. So, Kron, if, if what he did is what you would call putting on a demonstration, what would you call what LeBron's done the entire year at age 35? It's just been nothing short of amazing. I mean, you, you, you talk about the way that he's performing, uh, making an announcement, saying that he's going to play the point guard position. Now, I, I didn't think that was, you know, media worthy to announce that because that's something that he's done his entire career. But the comparisons to Michael Jordan, and everybody always go back to the 97-98 season, Michael Jordan 35, the record was 62-20, uh, and 20. Uh, the games without Pippen, 36-12, and 12, NBA champion, uh, finals MVP, first-team All-NBA, first-team All-Defense, played in 82 games. And he also was a scoring champ and, you know, 32-and-a-half points for the most of the playoffs. So, like, I think you got to draw those comparisons now with LeBron in year 17 without taking that time off. And that is a real discussion now. If he's able to win a title, he'll be the first player in NBA history to go down and win a title with three different organizations. Man, that's history. That's GOAT status. I was going to say, Karan, does that make him the GOAT in your mind, if he does that? I don't think that that make him a GOAT, the, the GOAT, the best player ever. But in my eyes, when I look at his body of work, when I look at his longevity, and I cannot not look at what he's done in spite of all the production that he's done on the court, he's over-exceeded the production off the court. That's what I'm more impressed with with anything. So I think that when you talk about that that component of it, I've seen LeBron second to nobody in that space with his production on the court, with his production off the court, the school, inspiring lives, plan C's, social justice reform, all the things that he's tapped into, second to none right now. So, Kron, when you look at this thing, right, I'm not looking to start anything at all, but when you look at who he's running with, when you look at AD and the fit between the two of those guys, and again, I'm not looking to start anything at all, but is AD maybe the most complete player LeBron's ever run with or maybe the best fit? You know what? I think they complement each other's games the most at this point of his career. Right. I think that when he was with the Cleveland Cavaliers, he kept falling short where he ran into San Antonio and those guys the first time around, and he just didn't have that running mate. He had a, a lot of guys by committee. They was winning games, but they was really going off his greatness. He joined forces with uh, uh, Dwayne Wade in Miami, legendary coach, godfather of the game, Pat Riley, and he was taught how to win. And I, th- I thought that Dwayne Wade was his best running mate to date. I mean, they won three championships together. Uh, and then he went back with Kyrie Irving, and we saw his greatness, and he had that solidified number two guy that can dribble and create and do things with the basketball. Now with Anthony Davis, you know, when his career is done, if he stays healthy and, and they continue to do what they're doing and they get some rings, he's going to be going down as one of the best power forwards ever to play the game of basketball with his versatility. And statistically, when you look at his numbers, they're going to be off the charts because people forget about his production that he had with the Pelicans. So I just think that he's definitely going to be one of the top two teammates that uh, LeBron's ever played with. But I cannot put him over Dwayne Wade until they get that champion, them championships.
All right, so, Karan, you've been around some of the best and brightest. You've been around some of the biggest names. You've played for some of the biggest names. You mentioned Pat Riley is like the godfather. I mean, I've been around NBA players, like like alphas, that are just in awe of Pat Riley. What is it that makes this guy so unique and so different? And what was it like for you as a young player to be around that guy? It was the best experience I ever had because, you know, you – a lot of players come to organizations in, in different situations, and I say, I say this time and time again, I would not have had the career that I've had, and I wouldn't able to be able to function at a high level as you know, a, a citizen in society and do all the things that I'm, I'm doing if I wasn't uh, drafted by the Miami Heat first because I think that basketball and sports teach you a lot about life, teach you how to be consistent, goal-oriented, and I think that all those things – was planted in me early, you know, by the legendary Pat Riley. And then, you know, camaraderie and all those things. So being a star in your role. And I think that guys are, you know, just really intrigued by, you know, the culture and hard work. And they know that he knows how to get it done. He's, he's true to his word. And I think that, you know, in this, I mean, in due time, because that's what he wanted to accomplish again, win a championship in Miami again before he retires. It's going to happen again for those guys, and they position themselves to not only compete and win their battle in their position uh, night in and night out, but they position themselves for 2021 to have the, the, a chance to go get someone like Giannis. Yeah, Karan, I can hear it in your voice. You can see it in the way LeBron prepares and the way he works, and then you see it in Riley. You just said he's going to get another one. Like, what is it? What do you think still drives a guy like Pat Riley, man? That guy could be in the mansion. I mean, I saw him once in Italy with the family. He looked pretty content. Man, this guy's hungry, right? How badly do you think he wants another one? And what is still driving Pat Riley at this age? Man, listen, man, he's a, he's addicted to greatness. And, you know, that's, that's what he's all about. Um, you know, if you're going to do something or do anything, you do it right. And I think that he's come obsessed with doing things right. He's fell in love with the process of building and going through the adversity stages and putting pieces together and being doubted on and being slept on and going through that whole entire process and then reemerging as, you know, it's kind of like Dark Knight, you know, like Batman Rises Again type feeling, you know what I mean? Like he loves yeah. that part of it. And I can see it in real time happening right now. And I just can't wait till, you know, they hold up another banner and he walks away from the game and just, you know, it's just an amazing career and something that I enjoy watching. I love watching greatness. You know, I would imagine, Karan, along the course of your life, your career and your life, you would meet people and you would have that message also. You'd exchange that message because I know you feel the same thing because I'm watching you not only when you play but even in retirement. I know you have that addiction to greatness. Who was the first one who hammered that into you? When did you first start hearing that message? Yeah, you know what? It it, it came from you know uh, numerous people. You know, you, you know, my my mom, my grandmother, the patriarchs and matriarchs of our family always told me to be the best version of me, and you know, don't go down the same pathway and you know the stereotype of you know the mills and and people in our community and you know black and brown community and and go down that pathway. And then when I went to prep school, I had a legendary coach by the name of Max Good, who always likes you know drilled that in me. And then I went to, you know, UConn and Calhoun, you know, Hall of Fame coach, same thing, just drilled it in me. And then me and Pat Riley drilled it in me. And, you know, it wasn't until, you know, I came to the Los Angeles Lakers and uh, played that season with Kobe Bryant. Uh, he taught me so much about, you know, just the game, you know, how to analyze film, how to watch film, how to go into detail, watch it in layers. And uh, it, it, it really it really just triggered something and it sparked something inside me and, 
it's something that I just I, I can't describe it, but I just know that if it's not all the way right, if I'm not doing it all right, I'll rip that shit up and just start over. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I want to be the best at my craft and what I'm doing. I mean, that starts at an early age. You mentioned your mom. Your mom had you when she was 14. Your grandmother was so tough. I want to ask you about your grandmother in a minute, but you mentioned Kobe. Kron, it feels like the shock is only now kind of sort of starting to wear off. It's only now starting to sink in that Kobe's gone. I know you said that Kobe was one of the four teammates in your entire career that you stayed personally close to. Why was Kobe one of the four? Yeah, I I mean, our connection was just, I mean, you meet people in your life sometime that, and I know you probably go through this process or have had this process where you met someone and y'all just clicked immediately. Right. And, you know, um, I felt that way when I got traded to the Lakers. Um, Kobe had signed a massive deal for over $130 million and at the press conference, and I'm there, and Brian Grant, Lamar Odom, and we're all sitting there watching him sign the contract, and he immediately turned to me and said, you know, you ready to black out? You know, like, we got to get it in. You ready to black I said, yeah, man, I'm shit. I'm I'm just excited to be next to greatness, and I know you know the way. I'm, yeah, of course. And be here tomorrow morning. You know, I think it was like 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. or something. And we started the process, and, you know, all the stories that Pat Riley told me about preparation, uh, Lonzo Morning had went out with the kidney failure, so I wasn't able to see it in real time. Eddie Jones was, you know, on the back end of his career, but he still was great and efficient. But I saw it in the prime of Kobe's career. And I saw his preparation. I saw his due diligence. I saw the way that he evaluated film and coverages and how he prepared for everything. You take those qualities and, and, and those instances in life and you apply them to your life, and there's no way you can be successful. And, you know, I, I, I had a, I had a, I picked up the phone yesterday, and, you know, my guy's driving me, and I, I, I called I called my brother's phone, and I, I do that from time to time, you know, because I, I at least called him once a week, and we just connected or shot a text to each other or sent each other a bottle of wine as we watch from a distance and see our accomplishments. And, you know, that's a void that will never be filled again. I miss him dearly, but his words, they they stick with me, and they stick with me heavy. And I know he's watching, and I want to continue to make him proud. I want to continue to live up to the, the, the things that we talked about, and, you know, I hold that close. I really appreciate your thoughts on that. I really do. Can you mention the other three? I mean, I'm really intrigued by only four guys in your entire career. Can you mention any of the three or who are the other three that you stay yeah, close at, to? At the time, you know, it's, it's guys like, you know, Dwayne Wade, obviously, Chris Paul, um, Kevin Durant, uh, Russell Westbrook still as well, um, Chauncey Billups. It was just guys like in a small circle of guys that I just connected with immediately. You know, Grant Hill was a guy that I modeled a lot of my, you know, my life and career after, you know, watching him from a distance and then finally being a teammate of his. But I've had hundreds of teammates in my life, and, you know, I had mutual respect, and clearly if we see each other, we're going to embrace and hug because the NBA is a small fraternity and a brotherhood. But it's certain individuals that, you know, that you connect with, you know, way beyond basketball and way, way beyond the sport that you like, you know what, like this, I know this person and this individual is going to be a friend of mine forever. And it's just a different connection. I don't know how to explain it, but you just know when you know. And, you know, those guys are, you know, very dear to my heart. I get that. Like the kind of guys that even if you don't talk to them for a long time, you can pick up right where you left off no matter where you are. You know, you mentioned – I could talk to you about your teammates forever, Karan, but you mentioned Brian Grant, BG, man. He was such a good, good dude. Have you spoken to him at all? How's he doing? 
Now, I haven't talked to Brian recently, but the last time I talked to Brian, I was in Sacramento, and um, I think I was calling a game or doing something, and he came down and came and plucked me on the back of my head because I was his rookie. And he just told me, you know, uh, continue to make him proud, man. He's watching. But, uh, you know, obviously he had the Parkinson situation or has it. And, you know, he wasn't doing as well. He said, you know, he was having little complications. But, you know, he still stayed in contact, you know, with the majority of that team uh, of 2002. And, you know, Pat Riley and helping raising uh, money for the foundation and everything. Uh, but just staying close to Brian is uh, very important. I got to definitely reach out. I'm glad you brought that up. It's good, dude. Good, dude. You know, I think about your time at UConn, and you were there two years. And you played for Jim Calhoun, who was so tough, and you were the co-conference player of the year, and then you went pro. I think about those great UConn teams. I think about Rip. I love Rip. But one of my favorite guys back in the day is somebody in the media. You know, I'm just me, a guy behind a mic. But, man, I love talking to Khaled El-Amin. Khaled was so great. <laughs> man, does that, does that not bring a smile to your face, how funny he was? Yeah, man. You know what? Khaled El-Amin is the reason why I, I went to UConn. Not one Tell of the me. main reasons. Tell me. Yeah, you know what? Calhoun sat down with my mother and my grandmother, and he was just like, and a lot of universities came in, and I don't want to throw nobody under the bus, but, you know, I'm, 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 I'm keeping it raw and real with you. If you can be bought, you can be sold. And a lot of times people come in and come with, the, you know, all the things that they can do to you and the, the gift purchases and shit like that. But Calhoun came with a different uh, perspective. He recognized he was in the south side of Racine. He recognized he was in the hood, and he sat down, and he was like, look, I'm going I'm to I'm get his ass right. I'm going to pour into him, and I'm going to plant the right seeds in him, and he's going to be family forever. You guys are going to be family forever, but I'm going to take care of him, and he's going to learn a lot of life lessons if you come to the University of Connecticut. And not only that, by the way, he's going to be a pro. And we're going to teach him how to be a pro, you know, and what it takes to be a pro. And he had the, he had the track record. He had the resume. He had Richard Hamilton. He had Ray Allen. Donnell Marshall. He had guys at my position, so that's what I was intrigued by. And but he didn't he didn't try to buy me on nothing. He didn't sell me on anything. He just told me what it was. And when I heard that messaging, I was just like, I was intrigued by it. And my mom and grandmother was like, I don't know what you're thinking, for. That's where you going? Like you going to Connecticut? It was Great. as simple as that. And uh, I went to the University of Connecticut, man. And uh, uh, but before that. Khalid Alamin was my guy that I had on the visit, and he took me out, he took me around, and he was so live. And I know a lot of people won't believe this, but Storrs, Connecticut, back then, it was just like basically like Sacramento with the cows and the bells oh, and yeah. everything. But Khalid Alamin made it seem so intriguing that... Uh, <laughs> it was like Vegas and shit. Yeah, he made it seem like a Vegas feel to it, man, where I was just like, oh, shit, I didn't know all this stuff happened in Connecticut, man, and I was just excited to go there. So he pretty much sold me on the university. That, that's that's an amazing story. I'm so glad you told that. I mean, Kron, you it would take literally weeks to do justice to your journey, but you mentioned what it was like for Calhoun to come back to your neighborhood, Racine. For those who do not know, what was it like growing up in Racine, Wisconsin? Oh, it was, man, it was crazy. You know, uh, I, I think from a visual standpoint, it's like the optics of every hood. You know, grassroots communities, uh, you ride down and things that you see, you see prostitution, you see drug deals, you see shootouts, you hear them. Uh, gunshots in the backdrop all the time, and I was in the midst of it. You know, my family, uh, the males in my family, wasn't a single male in my family that didn't do any correctional time, so uh, including myself, and that's what I was exposed to at a young age. I, you know, I was selling drugs, you know, before I was 11 years old, 
and I was out on the streets doing pretty much everything that you can imagine. And it wasn't for, you know, recreation or from a hobby standpoint. It was for survival. And, you know, what I was exposed to as a kid, it was a typical, ordinary, everyday thing. But, you know, those are the things that you're never supposed to be exposed to or sometimes not even things you're supposed to hear about. And, you know, I was living it in real time. So fast forward, you know, getting incarcerated numerous times. You know, I was arrested over 11 times by the age of 14, 14 and a half. Um, ended up getting a two-year sentence. Got caught with uh, drugs and a gun on school premises. And, you know, I was shipped off. And if that had not happened at the time, and I think it was a blessing in disguise, uh, I probably would have been dead or I probably would have took somebody's life because where I was headed and where I was at in the streets, I literally feel like whoever set me up that day because <laughs> they got a phone call that I had the drugs and the deal had went down and it was a gun in my locker and all that. But if that had happened that day, I, I would not be here on this phone with you talking. So that was just a blessing in disguise. And I always was bitter because I had to go do that time, but I'm forever grateful for, you know, that life-altering situation happening that day. I really appreciate that part of that, too. Karan, one more thought. I think it's really important. So you got out. I mean, you did the time. You got out, and you tried really hard. In fact, succeeded in staying on the straight and narrow. You get a job at Burger King. I'm curious, man, the lure of the street, the pull of the street, the people you used to run with, when you're trying to do this thing the right way and you are busting your ass working at Burger King, what were the dudes from back in the street telling you at that time? What types of things did you hear? I mean, you know, some of the cats that I used to run with, you know, they was, you know, better off because they didn't do no jail time yet. Right. Or, you know, the reality of life didn't, didn't catch up with them at that point. And, you know, they'd pull up with, you know, their cars and their rims and, you know, pockets full of money and, you know, their jewelry and everything. And, I, you know, I'd be back there on the boiler steamer, you know, throwing patties in the damn boiler steamer, making whoppers and things like that, and it's like, bro, what the fuck you doing? Like, you know, come back, man. You know, you got to get back into the mix. And, you know, they had me all laid out, but I just, I, I wanted to do this thing, man, right. You know, I didn't want to leave no no, no room or no margin for error. I just wanted to do everything right and stick to the script. You know, I knew what that life, you know, entailed. I know you probably have a two, three-year run or maybe a, a couple-week run. You know, somebody take your life or you take somebody else's life or you go to jail for the rest of your life. And I didn't want that. You know, I wanted to try something different. And that's what I elected to do. And, you know, all those individuals that used to come back, you know, them brothers go. they no longer here. Um, you know, God rest soul of, you know, Black Rob, you know, G1, James Jr., you know, everybody gone, you know, and the decision that I made was to pivot away from that street life, and I'm so glad that I did. You know, I wouldn't be able to be here with my kids, you know, at the time, you know, I had my first child when I was 14 years old, so my commitment to a straight and narrow life was really because of her, and, you know, that decision, you know, not getting back out there in the game changed my life forever. So, Cron, one more thought about that. Who is Rick Geller? Oh, so Rick Geller is, uh, you know, Sergeant Rick Geller. He's a retired police officer now, but he used to work for the Racine Police Department, the SWAT team, and, you know, uh, traditionally the ATF, and they did, you know, home raids. And I think uh, 97, uh, January 97, I think it was, or 96, uh, they, they did a drug raid on a property that I was in my mom's house and they came in and they found over an ounce ounce and a half of you know rocked up cocaine in the garage 
and it was not mine, and it was a drug-infested neighborhood. And Rick Geller was the, the lead for the SWAT. And when they came in there, they could have easily, you know, um, gave me you know, 10, to, 10 to 15 years because of my priors. You know, I was viewed as, as a career c- criminal at the time because of my priors. And Rick Geller, you know, granted me favor. Uh, he told he told uh, his superior officer at the time and all of them to, you know, not take me to jail. And I was handcuffed, and I was on my way to the rap van, and I was facing, you know, like I said, 10 to 15 years. But, you know, he made the decision to say that the informant did not get the drugs from me and that, you know, he felt like it would be doing the, the justice system a, a disservice by taking me into corrections. And, you know, our relationship has been tight ever since, but we know what happens in situations like that traditionally where, you know, anyone, any walk of life, but especially, you know, a black and brown male in a drug house or a drug-infested neighborhood, and you get caught up in a raid and they walk away with some narcotics and the individual don't go to jail, uh, that's not what it equal to. That's That's bad math. But he made sure that that was the, the situation, and I'm forever grateful for him making that that that, that great judgment that day. Is that amazing, Karan? He he's his boss said you've got enough on this guy. You put him away, and he said, you know, I don't think so. I don't think so. He went above his head. He said to you at that time, he said, "What are those burns on your hand? What's that all about? What did you tell him?" I told him, you know, I work. I work. A, I work a nine to five, or more like a nine to eight. You know, I, I'm, I'm always working, man. I work at Burger King, and he said, I don't see you on the streets. I've never seen your face out here. Like, so you don't seem like a drug dealer. You don't. I said, man, I used to be in the streets. I'm, I'm done. Like, we had a long conversation, and I was handcuffed when this conversation was happening. And I'll never forget, like, the anxiety or the anticipation of the, the officers around them, you know, that who still had their masks on. They were just like, like, hurry up, like. Take this like take this fucking kid to jail like it's over like right. you got the drugs like what what are we doing having this conversation and I just felt like it was real awkward to me at the time that we was discussing and having a conversation and numerous reasons or whatever reason he elected to let me go and once they had put the article in the paper it was a great deed that he did but still when they put the article in the paper that. It was over an ounce and a half of, you know, cocaine found on the property, and it was no arrest. You know, now take that in consideration, being where I'm from and the, and the environment that I was in, you know, it was difficult for me to explain that, that how did you get, a, like, you, you should have been in jail for 10 to life. Right. Like, how did you walk away from that situation? So people, like, may have thought that I was an informant or, you know, something like that. And I knew I had to get out of there anyway. You know what I'm saying at the time? Wow. Because, yeah, it was just wow. like, it brought that type of heat to me. You know what I mean? Yes. And, yeah, and it was just like a crazy situation. I'll never forget that. But when he went on the record and, you know, obviously, you know, years later you look back at it and the success happened and all the other stuff happened and people, you know, don't think about it in hindsight, everything 2020. But at the time, you know, I got a lot of venom and a lot of heat coming from my community. Karan, I got to be honest. I, for a minute, I, I lose track of that fact. You're right. Like, why would they just let you walk? What did you do to get out of that situation? You must have done something 
because there's no way they would just let you go. So there probably yeah. was all sorts of heat. And one more thing about Geller that he said, when, you know, when asked why he would do that, he said, because I never met a drug dealer that worked at Burger King. It just didn't add up. There was that math as well. And then you fast forward, Karan, like you make the most of this opportunity and you put your head down and you just keep working and working and working. And then over time, you worked at Burger King, and then as you get out and you do well, you become an owner and you buy several franchises. Listen, you and I have one thing in common like that. I worked at In-N-Out Burger when I was a teenager. What we don't have in common is I did not go on to buy a bunch of In-N-Out restaurants. Dude, what did that feel like when you started to accumulate those things? And knowing what you know, because you worked there, I know what it's like to work in fast food. What did it feel like to become an owner? I mean, it, it was special because I'll never forget, uh, I was talking to my financial team at uh, AJ Capital Group, and, you know, um, I was starting my first fund, and I, I started my Butler Capital Group, and I was like, okay, there's certain things that I'm intrigued by that I want to, you know, invest in. And we sat down with Rob Skinner and the team, and he's like, all right, what you want to do? And I was just like, you know, one of the first things I got to do is, you know, franchise. And it had an opportunity, uh, a strategic opportunity where, uh, the Burger King uh, franchise that came into existence and in a conversation, all from an ESPN photo shoot that I'm not going to mention the athlete. His ass didn't show up on time. But, like, some of the execs was there for uh, Take This Job shoot for ESPN, and I was on the cover of it for ESPN for Burger King. And I came to the job, like, extremely early, something I learned from Pat Riley, uh, to the photo shoot. And the execs that came and... They fell in love with me. We had like an hour and a half conversation, and the other individual came like two and a half, three hours late. Hmm. But it was like, you know what? <laughs> because of you know Karan's promptness and all this stuff, like we're giving him the cover, and wow. I got the cover, and I also got the relationship that eventually led to me being able to get into uh, a capital call where I was able to become an owner of six franchises of the Burger King franchise. So it just meant a lot, man, because. You know, you don't you don't dream of things like that. You know, you don't dream of you know having a full 360 uh, turnaround in your life where you're in survival mode and now you're making you know real life executive decisions to be part of you know things that will have a forever lasting impact and legacy in your family. It's like a generational turnaround. Like, and it's just it's amazing to be in that position. It is amazing. So, did you pivot out of that into some other? Well, I mean, healthier alternatives. What are the types of things you involved with right now? Yeah, so now you know I, I do my own podcast as well. I want to ask you about that podcast. too. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I own my content, so I'm a content creator. Uh, Close up 360. I own uh, uh, Racing Insider News, which is the longest uh, and standing uh, African American owned newspaper in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, me and my partner Lisa Parham. We also franchise and. We built a lot of graduate hotels, uh, part owner of 16 of them, uh, located on all, uh, many college campuses in the Midwest region, Cal Berkeley. Uh, we just got one in New Haven. We opened one and on UConn campus at the end of April, and we are, we're going to have the Butler Suite in there. We're going to have images of Ray Allen and you know Coach Calhoun and all those guys, so it's a boutique hotel. Uh, just getting off into a lot of things. We got Juice Buds as well out here in the Valley. We got two locations. We're opening up another one where the Mamba Academy is at, at uh, you know Sports uh, Sports Academy. So we're we're just man, like just diversifying and doing a lot of different things, man, and you know, extremely proud of it. 
You're a renaissance man. Listen, dude, you mentioned the valley. I, uh, I grew up in the 818, so I like to say 818 for life. I'm no longer there. Are you living the 818 life? How's that treating you? I'm loving it, man. I'm loving it. Like, you know, I, I, I'm always on the road. I get to enjoy it, you know, in the summer, uh, you know, where I'm you know, kind of stand still and the basketball season is kind of slower. And then, you know, me and my wife are able to, you know, do a lot of things with our kids. But uh, for the most part, man, I love the weather. I knew that the second that I got traded here back in 2004 that, you know, California and me, this, you know, it wasn't be a perfect marriage. And I knew that this was home. Cron, really quick, forgive me if I already bounced this off you, but I want to ask. I, I, I don't know if you believe, if you know this, but I am a real estate owner now in the state of Wisconsin. Now we live in Irvine, and before I let you go, I'm going to ask you about that because JC goes to UC Irvine. My son started at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. We're building a house in Eagle River. Have you ever been to Eagle River? Yeah, I know where Eagle River is, but I, I've never been there. That's a nice location, too. Yeah, dude. And, and by the way, you'll appreciate this, and you already know this. That buck goes a little farther in Wisconsin than Cali. <laughs> S- shocking, right? Yeah, man. We still got our lake house out there, man, our summer home where we go Where out, is it? Uh, a lot of spit. Can you say where? Uh, yeah, just outside Racine. Just okay. On lake Michigan. You spend much time there? Yeah, you know, probably like a month because we have a community center uh, that we have there, and we go back and do a lot of community projects and – you know, just try to bring as many resources back to the community as possible. So we go back every summer, me and my family, and just, you know, put on events, you know, do a lot of things, a lot of empowerment, uh, financial literacy classes, things like that. Right, so finally, I, I went to UC Santa Barbara, so it's kind of tough for me to admit, but since we live in Irvine, I go check out UCI, and I know some of the guys on the staff, and I love the program, I love the way they play. How's JC doing, and what's it like to watch your son play? Uh, it was great. I mean, it's been great to watch him. You know, his first year he was able to come in and play, and then the second year, you know, took a redshirt year this season. But I think what he's learning from the most part is how to evaluate the game, how to look at the game, and then also working on himself. I think that he he probably came in not as strong as he needed to be to play that position. And, you know, because you're so good and because you're the man in your area – you have to understand that you have to continue to work and continue to get better. And he elected to make that decision on his own. You know, I felt like he had a great summer, and he came back and he was like, Pops, you know what? I'm not going to go out there and misrepresent myself. I need another year to get all the way right. And I'm going to put a lot of people on notice the following season. And I love what I love where he's at right now, like looking at him from a basketball standpoint, as a maturity standpoint, mental, mentally he's like just – He's ready to take off next season. Dude, that's mature. That's really mature. Like that tough juice. Is that DNA, tough juice, or is that something you can teach him or are you wired for it? Does he have it? Like his old man. Yeah, man. I, I, th- I think he's just, you know, he's wired. He gets it. You know, for him to have that conversation with me as a, as a father and he know how I am, um, I felt like he, he displayed a lot of toughness and mental toughness. And that let me know right there that he was built for this because – to have that conversation and come down and drive down and say to Pops, we need to talk. That you know what, I'm playing well. I saw him in the practice and he held his own. He was doing great. And I was just like, yo, you don't want to play? He was like, I need to be like where I need to be. And I need another year to get there. And I, I was all in on it. And that, that made me look at him not as just my little baby boy, but more as, you know, JC, the man. You know what I'm saying? Like he's matured to the point where he can have that real discussion and that conversation, and that meant a lot. He knows his old man is cool as fuck, though, right? 
Yeah, man. Yeah, it's, it's cool, man. And you know what? I still love the fact that, you know, he's so engaged and into everything, man. And, you know, I'm headed down there Thursday to uh, catch the guys in the first round and check them out. But, you know, we've still been able to, you know, get to games periodically and support. He's still engaged mentally. He earned himself a scholarship. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of him, man. Like, he, he's developing just the way we want him to develop. You know, uh, his maturity is, is there and is, is continue to grow and uh, – we're so proud of. Hey, one last thought, because you played on a champion in 2011. Can you can you effectively lead when you're not out there making plays in big situations? I would imagine you've had that conversation with him too. Yeah, I, I just said, man, you know, make sure your voice is being uh, heard, you know, and always talk. You know, the first thing that happened to me, January 1st, 2011, I'm the second leading scorer, a third leading scorer on the championship team. We're the best team in the Western Conference, and ended up being the best team in the NBA. And I'm like, I go down with this injury, and the second I go down with the injury, you know, Dirk is right over me, and I was just like, man, I got like 300 people in the crowd. I got my team here. I'm one of the leaders of this team, and I can't let, you know, anyone see any fracture in the armor. And I, I jumped up, and I walked out for my own will. And when I walked off and they came in the locker room, I said, shit, what the fuck? Keep playing. Like, let's keep this going, even though I was internally messed up at the time. I just stayed with it. And, you know, from that point on, I had a conversation with Mark Cuban and Rick Carlisle. Mark Cuban said, you know, you're part of the fabric of what we built. We traded for you. We traded, you know, four or five guys to get you over here. Like, you're not going nowhere. So that gave me, you know, insurance and security. So now all I had to do was focus on my recovery and continuing to pour into my teammates. So, you know, I, I always found a way to insert myself in every moment. You know, I was eyes out there. You know, I I played with some of the best players ever to play the game of basketball. We mentioned Pat Riley. Valuation on how I view film and study film. So I was able to give my intel and my insight. You know, players like LeBron, I played him three times in a row, back to back to back in our times with, you know, the Washington Wizards in Cleveland. So I was able to talk to Deshaun Stevenson about, hey, man, this is how you should cover him. And, you know, Sean Marion, all right, this, he, this is what he's trying to do right here. And, we was able to, you know, come up with a game plan to strategically slow them down, and that's all we needed. You know, we was able to steal a game here and there and steal some time and some possessions and ultimately led to us winning the championship. That's so great. I love that line, too, but I was not going to let anybody see a fracture in the armor. So leave me with this. I could ask you about your movie. I could ask you about your documentary, any of your businesses. But since you're on my podcast, let me finally ask you about your podcast. It's such a crowded space, Karan. There's so many people doing it. Now, granted, very few people like you with your point of view and your career and your background. But why did you want to take that on? And what do you want to do with your platform and your podcast? Man, you know what? This inspire people. Like this, like what we're doing right now, having a real discussion. Like people ain't never seen me like pretty much conversate like this or see me in this mode. You may watch visuals, but you don't hear like the the, the audio version of me just talking like some real shit and real spill. And that's what I try to give them. I try to give them a visual because the visual audio. And then we have people from all walks of life. I you know I have a broad circle of friends and individuals that I conversate with, and we talk about. You know, the real stuff, we pull back the layers. We talk about trauma. We're talking about how to uplift yourself when you're going through adversity. And if you haven't experienced adversity, you know, some of the things that you might be, you know, subject to bump into, you know, going forward. And we also tell people, you know, because social media gives you this, like, misconception of 
microwavable success. Like this shit just happens overnight, and you only see the, the, the images that people want you to see, which is always going to be fun. Nobody shows you at a vulnerable stage. They don't post that shit. So, you know, we want right. to talk about that shit. We want to say, hey, man, look, like, it wasn't always like this. It was hard. It was rough. You know, I bounced back. You know, I overcame, and this is what I still deal with today in real time. And you can do this shit if you do X, Y, and Z. And I'm not telling you exactly what to do, but some of these things that I'm schooling you on, you can apply to your life and become the better version of you. So that's what we do on our podcast. Because success leaves clues. Yeah, man. That's what it's about, is leaving that, that trail. Dude, I tell you what, I, I, I appreciate you so much, Kron. It's like, it's one thing to have this information, but it's another to take the time and to share it, and it's still another to take the time and share it on somebody else's podcast or show. Can't tell you how much I appreciate all that time. I didn't mean to take that much time, but as you know now as a podcast host, you got to follow your guest, right? When somebody says something interesting, you have to follow up and keep going. Otherwise, you and I would be here for three more hours, man. So thank you so much. That was absolutely great. Hey, anytime, Jay. You already know, bro. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Of course you are. This time, don't make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. So why Old Trapper? Here's why. Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef extremely seriously. You can taste it in every single bite. I mean, who wants dried, rough beef in a bag? Nobody. That's who. It's like eating an old shoe. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal. And it comes in four amazing flavors. Old-fashioned, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy. For those of you who like a little spice in your life. So next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you don't see it, be sure to ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? An enormous amount of thanks to Karan Butler for coming through and keeping it real as hell. That was an outstanding conversation. I appreciate him so much. If you want to show him some love for that, make sure you hit him up on Twitter. He's at Real Tough Juice. That's at R-E-A-L-T-U-F-F-J-U-I-C-E, at Real Tough Juice. Then show yourself some love. Get subscribed to this pod every single Wednesday. When I push a new episode out, it will automatically ding your device. Then you're set. There's no need to remember anything or waste any time at all looking for it. Just fire up the blower or the lapper or the tab and you are good to go. Speaking of good to go, the voicemails have been on fire of late. Let's keep it that way. The number again, 949-385-0447. Put it in your phone, 949-385-0447, and I will catch all of you next week. First new message. Mr. Van Smack, do you own an automobile with an expiring warranty? If so, please press 1 to enter your 16-digit vehicle ID number and wait for the next available operator. Thank you. Message deleted. Next message. It's your boy, Big Tony. I got the inside scope. Tom Brady, he's coming back to New England, baby. Nothing can stop us. Patriots 2020-2021. We go with 19-0 to the Super Bowl. Message deleted. Next message. What's up, Romans? Dr. Dave. 
Don't be clowning on that jackass for doing a 180 on Jeopardy. Maybe one of these days I'll do a 180 and actually get a call that's racked on the show. Maybe you guys will come and watch me on Jeopardy when I get on there. Message deleted. Next message. What's up? I got a beef. I live in Fort Myers, and they do not have your show. Sucks. Just moved here. I have to stream to a Pennsylvania station on my phone to get your show. You gotta fix that. Thank you. Message saved. Next message. What up, Jim? This is the Ralph from H Town. In March of 1997, I started listening to your show. You said give it two weeks. I gave you 15 minutes. I like it from the start. Now listen to this podcast. I done heard all the episodes. It's like you all over again, but only the real, the true stuff of you. I like it. I love it. We'll always listen to it. We'll always listen to your show. Peace out. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim. Tom and Perump. I just watched your show. I DVR'd. Thank God Elkington has the guts to tell us that Eldrick, the womanizer, is only going to play in the majors, hoping to break Nicholas's record. And by the way, Jim, you will see if he is not doing well in the first, second round, he will give up like he did in L.A. I hope you can see through this phony Eldrick, the womanizer. Take care, Jim. Bye. Message saved. Next message. Hi, Jim. This is Trevor calling from Merritt Island, Florida. Just want to let you know how much I enjoy your interviews with the NFL draft prospects. I love hearing the stories from these young men about where they played, the position they played, how they got their their family stories, and just Jim Rome doing his research to dig up the really good stuff. As always, Jim, you're killing it. Thanks. Message saved. You have no more messages.